end up here. We were two nerdy, goofy, tall, lanky girls back home in Houston, Texas that just did our homework and just moved around in the house. And all of a sudden, we're here sitting at the stage, and she's getting called to be drafted number one. We're like, this is nuts. This is what life is all about. You watched them. You cheered for them. Maybe you booed them. You listened to them. You were impressed by them. Today, they share their favorite memories with you. It's the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's your host, Mike Yam. Well, we are making history on the Give Me a Sense podcast, and I say that because we have the first active player on the show, Chenea Gumake, who has done essentially everything that you can possibly do, at least at the <laughs> collegiate level, when it comes to basketball. Three Final Fours, if I'm not mistaken, at Stanford. Basically, every Pac-12 honor you can get, she's won them. She was the number one overall pick in the WNBA in 2014, Rookie of the Year in that season as well. Chenea, I- I'm going to take some, can I take at least a little bit of credit for your success? You can take a lot because without you, I wouldn't have any confidence to be me. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) But look, I won't take any credit for anything you're doing on the basketball floor. But you're one of – look, I'm lucky because I can call you a friend and also a colleague because I remember when you were still at Stanford doing some interviews with you at the Pac-12 Network. And I'm pretty sure I reached out to you and said, when you want to do media, please get in touch (laughs) with me. And now you're all over the place. You're working with us. I see you on ESPN. You're everywhere. Well, you opened the door for me for real, though. Like, I had a blast with you guys rapping on live broadcasts, and you and Ashley really helped me out. But yeah, I've, I've really I've become a yes woman. I just say yes to a lot of opportunities, and I just have fun, and I've learned, learned from you, Mike. <laughs> I, I, I'm flattered by that. I don't know how much I could have possibly taught. And I'm glad you actually said that theme of saying yes, because our previous guest on the show, Tony Reale from Around the Horn, talked about his broadcasting career in, in the uh, in the last podcast. And he had made reference to it. Saying yes just opens up opportunities. And you are another person who can reiterate that point. But I, I want to start with maybe just Stanford, because that's how I, I know you. And, and obviously, just sort of a, a, a talented family that you guys have. Your sister obviously is playing the WNBA. She's a smidge older than you. I know you got some younger siblings. They're also playing some college hoops. But take me back to trying to figure out why, where you were going to head to play college ball. Like, what, what was it about Stanford that drew you in? It's so funny because, you know, we fell into basketball because we were too tall for any other sport. Uh, my mom actually put us in gymnastics, which was an ultimate fail. You know what's funny? I actually remember... Uh, doing gymnastics, and I'm like, why can't I swing like the other girls on the uneven bars? Because my feet would hit the ground every time I wanted to go over, and so I'd lose all my momentum. So finally, you know, we fell into basketball because we're tall, and then we fell in love with the sport. We didn't know much about it because my family is an immigrant family, obviously, Nigeria, uh, lineage from our last name, Ogwumike. And um, so every day was something new for us, but we did know a, a lot of that lineage being from Nigeria, we take a strong importance in family and in school. So Stanford was one of the best balances of basketball, but more importantly, school, where we could get the most out of both worlds. So yeah, it was an easy choice, I guess you can say, for NECA, and then people assumed I would go to Stanford, but I looked around too, but obviously, you know we're a, a package deal uh, throughout life, so <laughs> that's, what, that's what got us to Stanford. The palm trees and the breeze did not hurt at all either. 
Uh, yes, there's something very special about that place. Where, where else were you considering? I was considering UConn and Notre Dame. And it's funny, I liked Notre Dame. I liked how traditional their campus was, but it, the vibe just was different. I've never been, I'm from Africa. I'm not used to the cold. So I, I was there and it was cold. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I can survive here. And I also went to another cold place, UConn. And I really vibed well with Coach Gino. You know, you have the same competitive fire personality. Um, but ultimately, I knew that I wanted a Stanford degree. And I also wanted to play Coach Tara and all the success she had had on the West Coast, be a part of that. So I knew it was going to be a ultimate experience of everything. And that's why Neck and I, we chose Stanford. You know, you bring up Gino, and I think when it comes to women's basketball, Gino, Pat Summit, and Tara Vanderveer, those are probably the three biggest names in the coaching ranks. How different is the pitch from both of those coaches in, in Tara and Gino as they try to get you to go to their schools? Completely polar opposites. Like, I remember it was funny. Gino comes into our house. You know, he's a small guy, but fierce personality, and he sits down all comfortable, and he just makes himself all comfy on the couch. And he always, when he's going to talk to you, he always gives you like a dramatic pause. So he sits down, he stares at you, piercing eyes. And just like about 20 seconds later, you're like, should we, should we say something? <laughs> and he starts, you know, telling us about how, how he thinks we can have a winning culture and that he developed me and all that stuff. And it was very like, it's one of those things where you, it's like the, what, what are they called? those eagle eyes, like those eyes that pierce into your soul and you're like, we want to do some great things together. And then on the other hand, Tara walks in and, you know, she is such a humble personality. She walks in, sits down, you know, she's sort of got like a, a funny, unique voice and she's very proud of Stanford and very uh, peppy and is very assured of herself in the sense that this is what I've been doing for a long time. We built Stanford from nothing into something and uh, the basketball team and so it was like sort of completely polar opposites between the two. But at the end of the day, we didn't really make the decision based on the coach. We made the decision on the experience I wanted. It was just funny because the vibes of both Coach Tara Vanderveer and Coach Gino are completely different, but both very effective for their players. Yeah. If NECA was at, was UConn an option for her? UConn wasn't really an option for NECA. Not sure why, but Duke was a very big option for her. Um, she really liked Duke. She liked the same type of student-athlete vibe, but then also the tradition of Duke Athletics, Cameron, and everything. But the thing that was the, the tipping point was they coach Gail Gessencourt just left. So they lost their head coach to University of Texas. So that put a lot of things in flux. And NECA was like, oh, I don't know if I want that instability um, at a program. I want something that I can come into that's a well-oiled machine. So that sort of narrow, narrowed her options down. If She's not at Stanford. Let's just say hypothetically she goes to, to Duke. Would you have gone there? Yeah. You know, it's funny because we, we like academics a lot, and Stanford is such a great academic school, but so is Duke. So I feel like if my sister was there and it's another equally good academic school, I probably would have leaned towards going to Duke. So I guess NECA, she's the one who makes all the big decisions, and I get no homework for me. I just ride her coattails. Well, so, all right, so you guys become teammates, right? And she's your best friend. I think that's a good way to characterize your relationship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, I don't, it's funny. I, we don't ever get tired of each other. People are like, don't you get tired of hanging around each other? That's your sister. Doesn't she get annoying? I can tell you, we've never once, like, obviously fought or cat fight or whatever you call it. We've never fought. We've gotten to disagreements that we've been maybe mad over, like, a day, but nothing, nothing longer than that. Nothing crazy. We just, we, we just are twins almost, but even though we're two years apart, we feel like twins. 
Okay, so you you guys are tight. You talk all the time. You're teammates at Stanford, which has got to be a cool experience. And you say you don't you don't have disagreements. Did any of those disagreements where you got mad for at least a couple hours? Do they ever center around what's happening on the basketball floor? Never, not once. I mean, there was one incident where she sort of see the thing is I don't I stay in my lane, Mike. I stay in my lane. I let my, I know my big sister is my big sister, and I'm not gonna try to come over and try to act like the big sister. I keep I know what a middle child's like. That's how we survive. You know, we don't we don't deviate. So um, there's one time we're playing, and Coach Tara she always wanted deep down to get us to be like you know coaches on the sideline compete they're just yelling compete compete yeah, yeah. and like you know play hard and compete against each other so i think they thought that since that is very fiery type of emotional player and i am a gritty hard-working like blue collar type of player that they put us up against each other and they tried it once and the one time they tried it that's a claim no proof no evidence she claims that i threw an elbow her way and so she turns around as the ball's going down the court. She said, yes. She stares me in the eyes like, you better watch out. I immediately sprinted off the court like I needed a water break, told another, like a, a freshman to sub in. I faked like a, a temporary injury, like, oh, my gosh, my I got scratched on my ear or something. Help, I need to get stretched or stuff. I sprinted off, and I was like, I'm not on. I'm, I can't do it. Tara looked at me and was like, about to say something, I was like, you, I gave her the face, like, don't make me do this. Please make me do this. I, lo- I love my life. I love my life. Since then, I stay in my lane. Well, you guys have actually played against each other in the WNBA. So how's that? You know, did you, the, did you legitimately funny. throw an elbow? You know, actually, there's documented evidence. If you go to my Instagram, there is evidence where um, I did foul NECA, and it was a hard foul. But, like, the circumstances were cool because she ended up going to free throw line and scoring, obviously, but she wasn't mad about it. But, yeah, no, it's funny. The first time we played against each other, it was such a big deal because for the WNBA, the history, everyone from the league was there. I think we had about 30 family members and extended family members and friends and everybody that were there. And they made sure that said, because I'm the Connecticut Sun and that's the Los Angeles Sparks, the Sparks will shine or something like that and the sun will rise or something like that. And they had these, like, they sat in the middle of the arena. So it was so, it was such a big deal. so stressful. So that, like, when we played, it was, like, the most peaceful part. Because we're like, oh, thank goodness, we don't have to sit for cameras here. We don't have to talk to this person. We don't have to deal with family that's staying in our house, blah, blah, blah. So um, it was, it was very, but more so it was awkward. And the story I can tell you is that I was like, okay, you know, it was a big hoopla. We did the jump ball, and we're running back. Neca gets the jump ball because obviously she has a higher vertical than me. But it's okay. I have longer arms, which means <laughs> I get a lot of balls, too. So it sort of evens it out. Yeah. But anyway, so Neca gets the jump ball, and we're running back. And you know me. I'm, like, super cheesy and cliche. And I was, like, running back because our matchup is each other. So I'm like, I can't believe this is actually happening. Oh, my gosh. Neca didn't even see me. She didn't even look my direction. She probably forgot I even existed as a human being. I was just an opponent to her. So quickly, I was like, I got to snap out of this. I got to snap out of this. We got to play. And then, you know what's funny? The first play, she backed me in and, like, scored over me. I was like, oh, snap. She does not care that I'm her sister. I got to I gotta wake up. And then from then on, I was like, okay, it was cool. She still scored on me, but I scored on her, so we were cool. What, is it weird? I think she had 26. You had 18. I think you had more rebounds, though. I think I saw yeah. that stat. Okay. You know what's actually funny? I think, like, she had 26. I had 18. And the next game, I had 26. We played against each other, and she had 18. Like, it was just super wow. weird. 
that is yeah. weird. That's that's <laughs> very very odd. Do you? Because look, you, I mean, you're you're best friends. You talk all the time. You you go to Stanford together. Now you're playing against each other. Is it weird in a moment like that where you're so used to professionally and personally rooting for her that in those moments all of a sudden you realize you can't necessarily root for what they're doing when you're playing them? You know, it's funny. Um, during the game, like, we played, and then when we realized we'd, like, look at each other was on free throw line, timeout. We sort of walked towards each other, take two steps towards each other. It was just weird. But it was funny. Neka told me after the game that I shot a free throw, and she came into the lane to give me a high five, but, like, her teammates were like, what are you doing? <laughs> which is sort of funny because like we're so used you know we shoot in the gym together for like what 15 years and all of a sudden <laughs> we're wearing different colors and some things just can't get changed it's just funny yeah yeah that's that kind of un- unwiring yourself just because you're you're so used to doing that one thing plus you guys obviously care about each other so you want each other to do well but just maybe not necessarily in those specific moments but Exactly. All right. So I, I've veered off track here because I think one of the cool things about your relationship and, and really your story in general, and I know you're aware of this, but the maybe some of our listeners probably wouldn't be. It's a great trivia question. But the only other siblings to be drafted number one overall in a major sport are the Mannings and, and Peyton and Eli. And then it's it's you guys. It's Neck and Shanae. You guys uh, both going number one overall. It, did it almost feel like for you, you were going through the draft process twice because, I mean, for Neka, you guys are so tight that she's going through it. I got to feel like you're in on everything that's happening. And then when you go and do it, she's probably in on everything that's happening for you. Exactly. You, you hit the nail right on the head. Because when Neka got drafted, it was such a huge moment for our family. Like, once again, I said, like, we grew up not knowing basketball. We didn't know the sport. My parents did not know anything about basketball. Um, and so we fell into the sport, like I said, and fell in love with it. It opened so many doors. It got to Stanford. NECA didn't even know she was going to get drafted in general, maybe second half of her senior year. And we're like, oh, wow, you're going to do the WNBA. And it's like, oh, maybe I'll go to medical school. I'm not sure. I, I need to figure out what this WNBA is about. And so she ends up falling, uh, of course, in love with the WNBA and the history and stuff like that. So when she gets drafted, it's sort of like, how did we – we look at each other like, how did we end up here? We were two nerdy, goofy, tall, lanky – girls back home in Houston, Texas that just did our homework and just moved around in the house. And all of a sudden we're here sitting at the stage and she's getting called to be drafted number one. We're like, this is nuts. This is what life is all about. But at the same time, you know me, I'm super competitive. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, she's living the life right now. This, this drafting number one is pretty cool. So after that, I made the goal. She planted the seed in my head. I'm the, I want to be drafted, not just, you know, any drafted. I want to try to be the best person coming out of my class. That was my goal of leaving Stanford. And it's just sort of crazy how things have worked out with us not forcing anything. We just root for each other. She helps me. I help her. And um, we, we become better players, better people for it. So it's just crazy. You know, we didn't we did not plan this. And it's funny because a lot of sports families plan this. Like, okay, the co- parents that have played try to teach their kids how to play. It didn't end up like that for us. It happened very organically, but very strangely. But it was pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So what's it like when you're 
arriving and you have like this anticipation because I mean just in terms of the process I think most people understand how the NFL draft works right because it's almost like this this circus kind of show you got the combine and guys are getting measured I mean we've had NFL Mm -hmm. guys on our set sort of tell us all the time about you know some of their experiences they're getting quizzed and questioned and poked and prodded from all different directions and then even on the NBA you got sort of the the same sort of feel you know you got the the draft combine where the guys are going up and down the floor in Chicago and, and obviously working out for different teams what's it like for the WNBA well you know our culture is smaller obviously um, the WNBA is and we do have combines we do have camps um, where players can go and showcase their skills but since we do stay in college meaning you can't leave the WNBA until after your junior year what that means that most people are going to just they're like hey I'm a junior might as well just finish my senior year get my degree and then go to the WNBA coaches scouts GMs teams they have plenty of opportunities to scout every player. So they don't need combines because they've seen us for four years mature and grow. But, yeah, like I said, you know, it's a smaller culture. So the draft is – they only bring 12 women to the draft. And so to be one of the 12 is a huge honor because there's so many players throughout the country that would love to be in that situation. Meanwhile, you know, in NBA and NFL – she's the NFL has, like, what, six days of draftees and hundreds of people going. Yeah, so yeah. it's just 12. So you feel really special. You go to WNBA orientation. Uh, that's where I met Tamika Catchings, Lisa Leslie. Um, I've known her from the Pac-12 network when she worked. And um, you, you get to reconnect with people that you haven't seen, players that you grew up with that were stars at their own school. You get to meet, you know, the top players, the people that are leaving their, leaving their legacy in the WNBA and already left their legacy. And then you're sort of initiated in. Um, they tell you that it's a family, and it is a family because we, we're still trying to grow. So it's a lot of, you know, hurrah, um, hand-holding, like kumbaya, like, yes, we're about to make it. It's great. We're so excited that we're living out our dreams. But then on draft day, everything goes out the window. You start getting nervous. You're like, okay, where am I going to end up? What city is here? Oh, my gosh, they traded this player. Oh, my gosh, does that mean I'm not going here or there? So it's funny. I, everyone in the arena was saying, Sinead, you're going to probably go number one. You're probably going to go number one. I was the only person that did not think that was going to happen, which is funny. And Neko was just telling me the whole thing, calm down, Sinead, calm down. Like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, no, because that night, like, within, I think, about 10 minutes before the draft started, they announced that they're trading Tina Charles to Connecticut, uh, from Connecticut, which is a team that was supposedly drafting me. I was like, does that mean that they're going to take me or they're not going to take me? What does this mean? Are they trading the one pick? So it just became madness, and then everything, when when it started, they call your name, you hear your name, everything mellows out. It's like the whole, oh. <laughs> <laughs> just this relaxed state. It's just so much fun, but there's a lot of stress, and then there's it's the best day of your life. You know, it's it's different because it's a Heisman, but Matt Leinart was the, the second guy I had on the show, and I asked him to tell me about his experiences going to New York, and what you're describing is essentially like what he was talking about, this immediate stress and and what it's like. And then, you know, you're in the green room and like the one quote that resonates for me is like, you could hear a pin drop in that room and just how nervous everyone was. It's like quiet energy. But when when you're with the other athletes, right, you're, you're, these are competitors. These are people that you've probably matched up with at some point over the course of your career. Is there, um, the interaction, is it, is it weird or do you get along with everyone? Yeah, I think we all get along with everyone because, like I said, with women's basketball, since it's like a niche culture, grassroots, you know a lot of the top players when you're playing and you're 13, 14, 15, because you get invited to the U16 camp, you get invited to the top tournaments. 
So all those same players tend to see each other as they follow each other around in AAU, and then you find out that a couple of them want to play together in college, and then you follow each other, you play against each other. So I've known a lot of the players that were rookies and now second, third-year players in the WNBA since I was probably about 13, 14. And it's just funny to see how we've all grown individually, but then we're all still close and we still root for each other, you know, behind closed doors. But you know what's funny about the draft? Yeah, I mean, everyone is trying to figure out, like, okay, you want to go to this city, but you don't want to go to that city. Or I want to go play there. You know, everyone has their own funny flavor that they want to bring to their team. And um, it's just so much up in the air. But the key is what helps us all realize where we were going to go last minute, the camera. So when they were saying, okay, three, four minutes until the next pick, the cameras would come to the next person who was going to get picked. So I was like, okay, that person's going there, so we know this. So it's just sort of funny. So if, you, if you're ever at a draft, whether it's the NFL, NBA, you learned it, you heard it here, watch the cameras because the cameras will tell you who the pick is. So if you're trying to be like a, a, someone that's a troll on Twitter, you can tweet who gets picked when by watching the cameras. Well, that's the best part because all these drafts now, all the picks get released on Twitter because someone's got the, you know, one of those insiders has the inside track, so to speak, on who's going to get picked and everyone. Some people get become critical of those people. I'm like, well, whatever, man, that's their job. They're not going to hold back on a story. Let them let them go with it. But now you're telling me there's like the cheat sheet uh, to it is if you're present in the room. If you're present in the room, usually the cameras come to the person who is about to get picked next, which usually sometimes. Now, if you're big time like NFL draft or sometimes NBA Sometimes they do like three cameras and they send them around and then the last second they drop two. So it's sort of funny. So you still have a little fraction of a second there, depending on the draft to find out or figure out who is, uh, who's going to be that next name called. Janae, to me, because basketball has, you know, you mentioned sort of the education at Stanford and I know you have a lot of different interests away from basketball, but it's afforded you. I think some really cool experiences, not only just playing and, and being a part of something and, and making history, obviously with your sister being the, the number one overall picks and, and really making an impact, but there's got to be some things that happen away from basketball that have come your way because of because of your abilities on the floor, uh, just interacting with other people. Is there, I don't know, a, a famous person? Because I feel like if you're a basketball fan, like people know who you are. So if you go oh. to a different city, like people are going to know, oh, you know, it's Cheney. I mean, do, are you able to kind of finagle your way into circles that you, you didn't think was uh, maybe even possible years ago? <laughs> Funny. Um, you know, I consider myself in the world of celebrity at the low end of the totem pole. But there are things that help because being 6'3 helps. Um, being, I guess we're distinct. You know, a lot of times I wear braids. My sisters and I have worn braids. And they, people always go up to me and like, hey, are you that twin? The African twin girl from Stanford? Like, because first thing, people can't say our name. People know we're from Africa and people know we're sisters. So they always are like, oh, yeah, Stanford. Yeah, you're African. Oh, it's sort of funny. But yeah, there are ways that, uh, you know, I've, I've slipped into some places uh, that, that I probably shouldn't have been on the list or anywhere. But my favorite, the person that I met my future husband, he just doesn't know it yet. But definitely <laughs> met my future husband. We're eating at Crustaceans in Los Angeles because NECA, she finished her season last year. They were in the playoffs. We weren't, boo-boo, whatever. But, yeah, so I went to go see her in the playoffs, and we're eating at Crustaceans, which is a popular restaurant where a lot of celebrities go. And they're like, oh, you know, only certain people can go back here. And they started looking like, oh, you're those sisters from Stanford, California love, you know? Oh, and, yeah. um of course, we sat at a table next to my husband. He just didn't know it, Idris Elba. I nearly passed out. Um, my, you know who Idris Elba is, Mike? Please tell me. 
I was just about to ask who, like, what's the besides your future husband? What's the other role? He just, oh, but he's an actor. He like lately was in Beast of No Nation. Um, he, oh my gosh, if you saw his face, you would know it. This is so depressing because usually our twin speak on television is on point, Mike. I know you know, it's, it's like he's the king of chocolate. He's the king of chocolate. Oh my gosh! You're, all right, okay, I'm I'm pulling it up on my computer right now to try to figure out um, okay, who this. Okay, how about this though, Anthony Anderson? Please tell me you know. Who oh that yeah, is. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, so, no doubt. Yeah, I met him too. He was really cool. I told him he punked the WNBA on his um, show Blackish, and I went up to him and I was like, "Bro, don't do that because we're here talking to have a good time. <laughs> don't talk about the WNBA like it's a joke." And he was like, my fault, my fault. We wrote those way ahead. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So there are a couple of people I've been around <laughs> a lot in that. Uh, obviously, my sister's team is owned by Magic Johnson, so I freaked out the first time I met him. When I was at Stanford, we did a commercial with Justin Timberlake, which was pretty cool, and he was awesome. Even though he was like an hour late, so I missed uh, the first third of the ESPYs. And um, Cam Newton was there. Ryan Reynolds came through to say hi to Justin Timberlake. Wow. I'm like, oh, who are you? Yeah, they didn't know who we were, but we were just happy to touch their hands and stuff like that. That was Mecca and I. So there have been some fun oh. moments that we've had. <laughs> oh, I, I know exactly. Come on, Mike. Yeah, I'm actually looking. At, he's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff. He was in The Wire. Please tell me you know The Wire. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. By the way, Janae, I mean, I I think I, I just envisioned maybe someone a little bit younger for you. You know, age ain't nothing but a number, Mike. Age ain't nothing. For, everyone makes exceptions, and for each just elbow, make exceptions. Yeah, I mean, because, today, what are you, 24, 5? Yeah, yeah, he's up there. I mean, he's not up, up there, but he's up there. A girl yeah, I mean, he's, oh, for sure. I mean, because he's like, I don't know, like 10 years older than me, almost. Yeah. Well, you're not that old. You're like 25, right? Oh, God, God bless you. God bless you. Do you know what happens when you when you turn 34? I'm, I'm soon to be 35. It's just not a, it's not a great, it's not a great age today. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like just that's like the age of like you can do whatever you want and still you're still considered youngish. No, no, no. Twenty eight is like that age where you can legitimately do anything you want because you're you're still just just for far enough removed from thirty. Because then thirty hits right, then your knees start bothering you. Like I can't when I get out of bed in the morning. Like legitimately, it's it's painful. Like the knees, uh-huh. the the feet. <laughs> Um, you know how I am with my hair. I mean, there's like, there's like a little salt with the pepper right now. Like those are things that you, that, that become an issue for you. So, you know, you could, you would be such a great person, a spokesperson for touch of gray. You, you've got that suave look. So embrace the salt and pepper. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to embrace it. That's why I don't want to color it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'll ever do that by the way. Um, so you Anthony Anderson, so you could definitely color it. You know, that's the other thing. Chene, next time you're in studio, we had um, – obviously because our ties circle back to the Pac-12 network and, and um, obviously you being one of our analysts now. I'm going to show you. So before you got hired because you were still playing at Stanford, we launched the network. This is a true story. So Ashley Adamson, who you made reference to, she's our other host. And Ash and I were getting ready to do the, the first show at the network. And there were some nerves that are out there. I mean, you're you're launching a network; it's just a different experience. But uh, Lydia Murphy Steffens, who is the president of the network, I guess did a uh, like had on her phone just sort of like what was happening in the control room. And there's a shot of me. They did this one. We hit our I think it was our three year anniversary. So a year ago, they sent out this behind the scenes <laughs> video from that first night. 
I had multiple people tell me that I look older and I totally agree with them. I've seen like signing day shows, Yogi Roth, one of our other guys, and he's got a great podcast, by the way, Life Without Limits. But Yogi showed me a picture of uh, of uh, like signing day. He sent, he screenshot it from his computer from our first one. Chanae, I look like I was five. I don't know what they were doing hiring me here. It's, it's bad. All that Pac-12 after dark. No, you just had an Obama moment. You've been working so hard that, you know, clearly the hair is accelerating great. <laughs> I, I liken it to Jeff Van Gundy in this time when he, when he became the Knicks coach and by the time he left yeah. <laughs> and what he looked like. Uh, hopefully I'll have more hair than Jeff. All right, so you, you've given me a lot to chew on. The one thing I want to throw your way is I've seen this before. You've gone overseas to do some some basketball stuff. Can you give yes. me a, a sort of a give me a sense? Can you give me a sense of, of what you've been working on that's that's I think helping a lot of young young athletes? Yeah, so I've been um, very passionate about international. I majored in international relations at Stanford, and I'm very even though my sisters and I were the first generation born and raised in the U.S., we're very connected to Nigeria. So I've worked a lot with NBA Africa and NBA uh, Global Games. I went to Brazil and hosted some camps there, which was like marvelous, so much fun. Um, and then also I went, to, I go to Africa almost two to three times a year, helped build some courts there, trying to fund some schools, which has been great, but more so just showing people, especially Africans, that anything is possible if you still pursue your dreams. Because oftentimes, you know, growing up, even with the Nigerians, because in Houston, where I grew up, there are a lot of Nigerians. They call it Little Niger. And a lot of my parents' Nigerian friends were looking at us, you know, in our jerseys, coming back from practice, they're like, that's not the life you should be living for your, you, that's not the life the little girls that you're raising should have. They should be getting ready to, you know, be wives, cooking, cleaning, and doing their studies and nothing else. So they were basically saying sports is not a calling. And that's the old, you know, way of life for a lot of people in Africa. They think that sports is just a hobby and that it's nothing serious. You need to become a doctor, a lawyer, which you can still become a doctor and lawyer. We're just trying yeah. to break down the stereotypes. So it's funny, all those people that were telling us not to do basketball when we were growing up, all my parents, friends, they're the ones putting their kids in basketball because they're like, oh, shoot, my kids can go to school for free if they work hard playing basketball or whatever their passion is. So when we go back to Africa, we really have the explicit theme to tell the kids that, hey, your parents may not understand what you're doing, but as long as you take care of your academics, this can really open doors for you. And it's not a door that will open just in, in Africa. It's something that can bring you to the United States to play for a college you know, maybe even make some more money than you would have back home in Nigeria. So we're very passionate about developing the game there. And um, I have some projects coming up with Nigeria. You you might be a little surprised. I mean, I don't think you'll be surprised at all, quite frankly. But yeah, I just have fun and, and expand the game. <laughs> That's awesome. Is there what's – what's the end game for you? Because I know you have um, – I, I would steer you towards broadcasting because I think you're incredible on air. But is there – is there something when you think, hey, you know, fast forward besides, um, I don't know, maybe some of that international stuff, and, and is there something specific you want to do? Well, yeah, I love broadcasting. It's really fun. Um, but I do think that I want to broadcast eventually with a purpose, meaning hopefully you represent, use a platform, whatever it is, not just to talk about sports, but to talk about issues that are pertinent to the rising generation. You know, there needs to be a voice for young people that are growing up um, because clearly this election is an example of how important the young voice is. Um, so hopefully I want to do something that involves media, which you already know, uh, giving back, uh, voicing the opinions of 
the rising generation. But, you know, I, I want to put a little reality off, off the table, a little reality, which is the little science project that I might be doing. But it'll be reality with a purpose. So we'll see how that goes. I like it. I like it. Uh, Chanae, congrats on all of the success that you've had up obviously professionally and then even away from uh, from from basketball as well. I know you're making a huge impact for, for a lot of different people. We love having you uh, in studio. I feel like you've been ducking us just because you've been you've been playing ball, so you've been doing your other deal. Um, <laughs> say hi to uh, the state of Connecticut for me. Are you Lake living there, by the way? Yeah. You, you know, I'll, say, you, I'll tell everyone, all three people here that you say hey. Um, <laughs> no, I don't mind Connecticut. I don't mind. Connecticut is very peaceful, and, you know, I'm only here during the summer which is perfect yeah. because it's gorgeous. It's like California in the summer. For sure. But the problem is there's no like Venice Beach or, you know, hopping places really. But regardless, it's a good place to play basketball because you'll be focused and then you have nice little scenery. So it's not too bad. But I Can appreciate I... you. I appreciate mm-hmm. you. I want you to know that. And it's been fun developing a little relationship, but you are, you are the real MVP in my KD voice. Oh, man. I'll take that. I'll take that. I can't, I can't thank you enough. I will say one other thing before I let you get going. When you got drafted by Connecticut, I don't know if I hit you up on Twitter. I actually was thrilled for you because I think of all the teams in the WNBA, I thought that that was going to be by far the best spot for you. You know why? Why? Maybe I didn't hit you up right after, but I was thinking it. Because you're in ESPN's backyard. I knew you had broadcasting chops. And in my head, I said, that's going to be the perfect place for her because she's going to be able to go play hoops there and then literally go down the street to Bristol and be in their studio. And I knew you were going to rock out. Now I'm slightly jealous that you actually do some work with them. And I know you're working with us too, but you're on that side of the country during the season when you're, when you're obviously playing at home. So uh, we got to get you back out to the West coast. And as an East coast guy, I dare say the best coast which is even weird for me it's just that it's the snow thing and the winters are tough on the east coast let me tell you i was in negative one degree temperature in toronto that was the first time i've ever been in the cold it wasn't even snow and i realized that i can't do the cold so i i do agree the west coast is the best coast only you know texas is something else texas is the greatest state but the west coast is the best coast so we can agree yeah you know what you and lamar heard have been you know, carrying that Texas torch, uh, one of the other, one of our other good friends who's an analyst with us at the Pac-12 <laughs> Network. So, uh, but yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. Chanae, thank you so much for coming on with us. Best of luck, obviously, uh, the next couple of weeks and months as, uh, as you guys continue to make a push in the WNBA. My pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Well, just spectacular to have Chanae on the show. Really one of the uh, the true inspirations, I think, for a young generation of, of female athletes. I love her story. She is truly one of the best people that uh, we've had an opportunity to work with here at the Pac-12 Network. All right. Uh, before we wrap things up, a couple of house cleaning issues for you. Number one, continue to subscribe and rate us uh, on iTunes. I know there's other platforms that you can go and check out the show if you don't have an iOS device like Stitcher uh, and not to mention on Blog Talk Radio on Blog Talk. Uh, radio.com. You can check out the show there as well. If you have any feedback, I, I love getting these notes every once in a while from people that are listening. Twitter, you can hit me up there at Mike underscore Yam or on my Facebook page, which is Mike Yam. Next week on the show, super excited. You want to talk about a, a little bit of a right turn going from Chennai to our next guest. If you are a football fan, he might be the most interesting football coach in the entire country. He's the head guy over at Washington State. Uh, Mike Leach is going to be stopping by the show. It is a must-listen-to conversation. It is the epitome 
of Coach Leach. We kind of go all over the place. There's Donald Trump references. There's to uh, some references on things that are under his bed, which will sort of creep you out and freak you out. Um, but nonetheless, that's just how Coach Leach is. That's how he rolls. So Mike Leach on next week's show. And then in a couple of weeks, too, I want to throw this out there. We're going to have a, a roundtable. I know we had Tony Reale a couple of weeks ago to talk about broadcasting. I think it's important to to get some other perspectives on the business and, and different career paths that you can take. Um, my co-host at the Pac-12 Network, Ashley Adamson, is going to be doing a roundtable conversation with me. Sarah Kustak, who is the sideline reporter for the Brooklyn Nets, she is going to be on the show. They're, the two of them are going to kind of go back and forth on some, on some things and, and really um, – you know, a path that I can't explain because I'm not a female and I think there's a different set of challenges that they've had to face in their career. So certainly looking forward to that. And Joe Siddall, who is the color man for the Toronto Blue Jays, it is rare when I get chills during an interview. I had an opportunity to speak with him. We'll get you that interview uh, in a couple weeks, but it's probably the only time in my career that I can remember getting chills during the interview. So that's going to be a must-listen-to show. So once again, continue to download us, continue to subscribe and listen to the shows, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Mike underscore Yam. been putting some pictures up on Instagram as well, and uh, also the same uh, username, which would be at Mike underscore Yam. Thanks again for listening and downloading.